talking about politics and philosophies about politics, especially internationally, can be a tough deal. It's something a lot of people shy away from because they feel it's going to get too heated or that the discussion may turn towards a tremendous amount of angst and bias. I'm always happy to have conversations about literally anything. And my guest today, Vicky Wuxie, she's awesome. We were able to have a really intelligent conversation about U.S. and U.K. politics and how that's playing out with the coronavirus. So I challenge you to open your mind, open your ears, open your heart, and check out the conversation between myself and Vicky Wuxie. Vicky, we did make it. We finally made it here onto the podcast. And thanks for being on today. I appreciate it. Totally my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So what's going on in the UK? What's life like? Oh, weird, I think would be a very mm-hmm. good word, wouldn't it? Is that how it is so. for you? Yes, certainly. <laughs> Are you enjoying Are you handling? it? Am I enjoying it? Uh, you know, my life is pretty similar. Um because I'm in such a tiny place, 5,000 people in a town right on the border of Canada and the U.S. So um, it's just been very similar. Um, obviously, I could feel it, you know, how things have changed, but it hasn't changed dramatically over here, you know, mm. where I'm at particularly, you know. I think for us, um, it only it only really impacts you when you actually go away from home. So like if you have to go to the shops, there's all this weird queuing. And I know I was in the shops the other day trying to find bin liners, which may not be essential shopping, but it's pretty essential to us that we didn't have any bin liners. And I was very disorientated by the stuff that was missing, meant there were these uh, empty shelves. And so the normal signposts I would have had to tell me, oh, yeah, I'm going down the aisle, look, there are things similar to bin liners, weren't there. And I was just, I'm finding myself a little disorientated by the gaps. That's what I'm noticing. I'm noticing the gaps. And I'm not one to sort of dwell on gaps, but I'm just, I'm seeing gaps now, not only gaps on the shelves, but gaps in the people, gaps in the traffic. Um, And another way to say gaps is space. Um, mm-hmm. I'm personally enjoying the space, but I'm noticing the gaps. I'm, I'm noticing what was normally there and now isn't, which is odd. I'll explain that a little bit more. I mean, I mean, I know what you're saying, and I think the listeners will too. But maybe dive deeper in that. How has that those gaps affected you, or just kind of your observation of it a little bit further? You know, I think it was more the use of my word gap, because I remember when I first started doing um, personal development, which might have been 2008 now, um, and I remember having a mentor, and they said that so many people notice the gaps and focus on the gaps, focus on what's missing, that actually they forget to be grateful for what they do have. So you're going, oh, my house isn't big enough, or my car isn't nice enough, or I don't earn enough money, or I don't have this material thing that I want. But you forget to go, wow, I'm really grateful for the house I do have. Aren't I lucky that I've worked hard and in a way that I can afford a car? Um, Aren't I grateful for my family, etc, etc. So you can get caught up in what's missing, 
and forget to appreciate what's there. And when I was describing how weird the world I was, weird the world is, I used the word gap to describe the missing shelves, and that triggered something for me. Um, I'm not I'm not focused on the gaps in that sense of my personal development training. Um, I was aware of the gaps, and I think what it made for me in the middle of speaking to you, I have my own insight, which was to remember to be grateful for the stuff that's there. Remember to be grateful that, in my case, I'm fit and well enough that I can still go to the shops. Um, and because there are a lot of people that can't, and I fear that there may be a lot of people who will never get to go to the shops again, not being too gloomy, but you know, let's be grateful that there is food. Um, that, that, and, and I was saying this earlier to someone today, how lucky we are that the shop workers who certainly in the UK and, and probably for you in Canada and the States are on relatively low wages. You know, they're on, they're on low wages here. And those people are risking their lives to enable me to go and get bin liners, you know, and just to yeah. remember to be grateful for that. For sure. I, I, it's definitely the same. I mean, I think they're, these are jobs that people aren't, you know, they're, not, they're living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck, generally speaking wages and you know they're deemed essential businesses so they have to be open so people are having increased risk of exposure to the virus and um and that has to be scary you know i'm definitely grateful for people who are putting themselves our healthcare workers and i'm sure there's that going on as well in the uk yeah i mean but it's it's everybody i mean it's everybody from from the obvious with the healthcare workers right the way through the bin men the posties the, the people serving us in the shops, it's extraordinary how many people are being selfless. Um, and if you want to sort of take a, a negative spin on it for a minute, they're being selfless so that other people can panic by. I don't know if you've experienced that out there. Um, but certainly I just, I just hope that we come out of this with a new appreciation of one another, um, more gratitude you know, remembering to say thank you for everything. Uh, the number, the number of times we'll go places just in our general pre-the virus life, and we would wander in, um, and someone, for example, maybe ordering a coffee is a good example. They'll say to the person, "I want a mocha chocolino or whatever they want with sprinkles and half something," and not say please and not say thank you. And I hear myself saying the word out loud, please. You know, and I can't help myself. I have to like almost put my hand over my mouth to to stop me saying the word please out loud because they've just, you know, shouted their instruction at someone and gone, get me this coffee, you right. whippersnapper, you. And, you know, just hopefully we're going to come out of this and remember to say thank you to everybody. And yeah, and just appreciate one another's kindness. Mm. I think that... Um... It's certainly a good thing to strive for. I, you know, I certainly am a big advocate for that and people being kinder, being gentler, nicer, more appreciative. But then there's the other side is that as, as difficult as this is, time is a really, we really won't know until late, a later date. Mm. You know, it's the, the proof will be in the time that it has elapsed and will people have 
is this severe enough to cause a mass change in personality or behavior and how people treat other people? I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to believe that, but I also know that people tend to come back to the medium, the median pretty quickly mm. when things go to come back to some sense of normalization. So I think there will certainly be pockets of people who were like, it will drastically change every fabric of their life moving forward. And then there will be people who will forget. It's just the nature of humans yeah. in many ways. You know, it's, it just is. And some people, it's some people will make big changes and some people won't. I think, I think this is going to be so big that I don't think anyone's going to get past this unscathed. I don't think anyone's yeah. going to come out of this untouched, unaltered, unaffected. And yeah. you said the word something like, is this going to be big enough to affect change? Lordy, if this, this complete shutting of the world essentially is what we've done. Every, yeah. every country, every shop in the world, every restaurant, every event, every bit of sport yeah. is shut down in an entire planet. It's almost inconceivable. I mean, I've got my hands on my head, you know, just trying to conceive of this. Never, even during what we called world wars, mm -hmm. which didn't really sort of attack, you know, well, maybe it did affect the whole world. But, I mean, I don't really remember South America, for example, being involved in the sure. world wars. But, you know, sure. pretty much they were global wars. We still didn't yeah. shut everything. You know, True. so I, I think... I agree. I think this is major i think there are things we need to be doing and the number of arguments i'm having with people are about masks not masks mm -hmm. uh you know is the government doing enough I, I don't care about any of that i think what we all have to do is go back into our hearts and say do we want to be responsible for the death or even illness of one other person and if the answer is no what can we personally do to prevent that possibility? And that is stay indoors. Mm -hmm. And if you do have to go out for anything, you wear a mask and a glove. And then if you come back into your own family circumstances, having been out, whatever you do, take it all off on the front door, get it all in the washing machine and washed and go upstairs and take a shower. And, and let's hope that, that there is no contamination going on anywhere else. And I just think, we need to step up. We need to grow up. We need to not be selfish. And we need to recognize that it is upon us in the first instance to do all that we can to just prevent us being the person that passed it on to somebody else. And then when we come out the other side, we can do everything we can so that we can move forward and make the world a better place for it. Um, there was a conversation I was having with someone and they use the phrase um, exceeding expectations. And I want humanity to exceed my expectations and step up and this be, this be a, a, there be a positive outcome out of an awful situation is what I want. I, I hope you're right. And what you're saying is totally what people should be doing. And I'm not sure how it is in the UK, but I mean, I'm sure, you know, people follow news from all over the world and stuff and what's going on in different countries. But I know for us here in the US that we almost function as 50 different countries within the same 
large, you know, country. Yeah. And so our response has been very scattered because different states have different basically they're based all the governors of different states are reacting in different ways. And so you have they have this new thing out is basically like it's like a tracker that shows like people's movements through cell phone data mm. of when people stopped traveling so much or moving so far, like a couple miles away type of thing. And we have such a huge disparity in that within our country because people are not doing what you said, which is taking it super serious and following the rules. Like one of our states, Florida, has been so late to the game that they're seeing such they're being ravaged by this now because they didn't take it seriously. Gosh. And I think that's hard when you have such a large amount of people in the United States is what 360 plus million people. Mm. It's very difficult to have a massive behavior change all at once because it's the United States, but it's really kind of the separate States at this point for a lot of people. I think so that's it's really very, interesting. It's, it's showing yeah. it for you, isn't it? We've seen that here. Yeah. That, that, so I um, want to know how it was where you are, because I, I'm not familiar with the UK like that, you know? Well, that, that's what I was just going to say. We've seen it here that you seem to be having this very disparate approach yeah. to it. Um, and yeah, we on the outside of America, we've always referred to you. I mean, you're even called the United States of America. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing, obviously, is that you've got one message from the leadership. Now, here in the UK, what we're seeing a lot of, oh, I've forgotten his name. What's the mayor of New York called? Oh, so you have uh, Cuomo and then you That's have it, de Cuomo. Blas yeah, and, yeah, Cuomo. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of Cuomo on the news. So we've got, first mm. of all, Trump doing his bit, and then we've got Cuomo. And Cuomo seems to be, you know, like a leader in waiting, uh, the, the, the general of an army. He's serious. Mm -hmm. He's focused. He sat there at the table. He's saying what he's doing. And he brought up the point, and I think this was maybe earlier this week, where he was saying that the issue that we've got in America is that the individual states are all competing against one another for personal protection and, right. and everything else that you need. And so you will, within yourselves, driving up the price. I mean, you know, market prices, if, if you're going to pay £10 and I offer £12, and then yeah. or you offer $100 and I offer $120, you know, the suppliers are going to take it. And then I was thinking, gosh, that's awful. And literally three days later... We had the same here. So normally, oh. we're not like that. So within England, we've got sort of London, which has got its own 33 boroughs. And then outside of London, we have all of these counties. And our counties are your tiny, tiny versions of your states. But okay. they don't have governors. They don't have some, a couple have mayors, the bigger cities, but mostly they just have a local council. And the local council gets on and deals with the local stuff. But we have this umbrella of the government over the top but what we've had over the last i couldn't be exact on this but let's say over the last four years is primarily scotland and then followed by wales voting for devolution so voting to be separated because you're the united states of america we are the united kingdom Right. But in the last four years, we've become slightly less united. And that was caused by all the measures that were brought in through austerity and then made even worse when we did Brexit, when we said as a, as a collective that we wanted to leave the European Union. Mm -hmm. So some of our countries, Wales and 
particularly Scotland didn't like that. So they did a vote and they haven't got full devolution, but they've got more power. And of course, that same pattern that you've got in the states of you've got 50, 52 states all fighting against one another for materials. We then started to notice that here only amongst the four countries that we are. But then they've started to go quick. We've noticed we're doing this. We need to send this back. And we've we've gone here, London. You're the centre of our parliament. You need to handle this. You need to be the central ordering point and you need to distribute it. And it will be distributed and it'll be distributed fairly. But what we're hearing here is that if the distribution were to go centrally, that actually your government wouldn't share it out equally amongst the states. It would be sent to certain states for political reasons and not Mm -hmm. others. And I don't know if that's true. So it's then very difficult to trust a system if you don't, well, if you don't trust the system, you can't trust the system. Yeah, man. Well, one, thank you for breaking that down about the UK. I mean, I wasn't very aware of that. And um, I think it's very important for listeners to have a, be educated on that. So thank you for that. I think in our country, just it's just my point of view. I pay attention pretty decently, but I don't claim to know everything. It's just perspective. And my father was in the military for 28 years in the United States and um, worked in the White House and the Pentagon. And, and um, I think it's just a system that there's a lot of things we just don't know that's going on. And so what we see on TV and press conferences and things of that nature, it's hard to believe if what is being told is the actual thing that's supposed to happen, or if mm-hmm. there's not backward backroom deals and you know stim- packages, stimulus packages. There's what a lot of Americans don't understand is in these packages, while they're they're good to help our country and hope you know create um, stimulus for economy, there's also a lot of things that different lawmakers have or, or representatives of Senate and House that they want put in there to fund their own agenda and things. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's difficult when there's kind of that extra fat being put into those things to try to get their way on something, even though that the public just needs help, you know, and there's, I'm not sure in your situation, but for us, there's always a lot of infighting between the different political parties Mm. and things of that nature. And that still exists. Even during this, there's always some some element of that going on, even though the country as a whole needs to just be taken care of. And then we have these different issues of healthcare, which is, I'm sure you may be aware, because a lot of the world, I think, dings America on this. Our healthcare system is very bad. It's yeah. very bad. It's nothing like the rest of developed countries in the world. It's like a shame, shameful what we have for our system. And we all know it and nothing is done about it, you know. And maybe maybe out of this something will change. Yeah. So we're so. aware of the fact that you had Obamacare and we're aware of the fact mm-hmm. that President Trump doesn't like Obamacare. And so right. our perception is that those of you that have got insurance will be okay. You'll mm-hmm. you'll have a chance to survive. And basically if you're poor, you're stuffed, you're dead. You get yeah. the virus, you're dead. There's no backup for you. Whereas here, um, everybody is taken care of and it's not a case of whether you've got insurance or not insurance because in a sense we all pay we've got something we call national insurance we've got our insurance is offered by the government and therefore it's not an insurance company who sends out 
policies and wants to make a profit because that's the trouble with leaving insurance in the hands of of private people so i can take out private insurance in the uk private healthcare insurance and it will cost me oh i don't know i mean it depends anywhere from 100 to 300 pounds or more depending on the level of covers that i want uh, uh, on a monthly basis which is a lot of money for some families and then that would get me an extra level of support if i want to so there are people in the uk and often through their uh, companies as packages are offered as this as a perk but every person in the uk and i'm going to caveat that in a minute <laughs> pays national insurance or is entitled to care by the national health service and where we fall down and where i feel our embarrassment is the fact that we have so many people and you're probably going to say the same so many people who are homeless on the streets but what yeah. we have been doing now is saying every homeless person needs to be brought inside because all the hotels are shut. We've got no travellers. So we have got buildings and buildings and buildings that are set up with bedrooms and facilities. We could be bringing everybody in off the streets. And my hope would be that we would have one hotel is for people with alcohol issues, and then we can put in all of the workers that can take care of people who've got alcohol issues. And then one hotel that's got people who've got drug issues and one people who've got a hotel who've got mental health issues. And then one other, you know, hotel for people that aren't actually that far down the line. They haven't got all of the issues from long term homelessness. They're, they were recently made homeless. And so then they can be helped back into work and, and health care can be provided and everything. And so that for me could be something that could come out of this even better than we had before but uh yeah i would i would not want to be poor and be in america that's for sure <laughs> yeah it's tough i mean i think in as one of the largest developed countries in the world and we i think we have kind of we have really been the lone soldier we have decided that we're not going to have universal health care for our people and i think a lot of the world is befuddled by that yeah. And that we're so privatized. And I'm here to tell you, a lot of people in America are also befuddled by that. And they have a hard time dealing with it. I, I think most people that you talk to here, at least in my, I can't talk for most people, but people that I have talked to in my circles throughout the years, healthcare is always a super hot topic in jobs. People need it. And it's so expensive when you get sick, big hospital visits, the co-pays. A lot of Americans go broke from medical bills. They, yeah. yeah, that's we what see destroys in, in, them. In dramatizations that we have here, you know, when we watch American films, yeah. and if one of those films has got a member falling ill, your people are terrified, terrified. of being ill. And literally, you know, you can have a husband or a wife or a mother or a father knowing that the whole family is going to go under in order to save either one parent or one child. That that's it. The family's gone. That they'll end up losing the house, losing everything, and that's just awful decisions to put people in at the worst. It's crazy, time of right? Life. Yeah, isn't it crazy? Like I can't believe we actually have this, but it's. I think for a lot of us, we're we're very used to it, and and it, and things move so slowly for us here in terms of gov government change and healthcare. And because you have two sides, you have Democrats and Republicans, are always fighting over healthcare and what's right. And what's not right. And in the end, the people who are struggling are the ones that lose. And, mm. the, and the, there's the, most of Americans 
lose and because of our party system doing that. It's not about being part of this affiliation or that affiliation. It's about helping human beings. It's, and I've been telling this, I'm like, we need to do a better job of taking care of our humans over here. We need our healthcare. I'm, I hope the biggest thing that comes out of this besides being better to each other is that we have a complete overhaul of our healthcare system, complete. Because we're so far behind in that. It's it's crazy. I, I used to get my, I get my hair cut in Canada because I live right next to the border and I can't do it now. But when I was doing that, my barber would say, it's crazy, man. I hear you guys don't have health care. He's like, that's nuts, man. You know, like they just couldn't believe it, you know, like, and it's a shame that we have not gotten ourselves together to make it happen. You know? And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because so we're wandering into politics, but I mean, we look at places like China and Korea, where the government controls the information that the people have. And I wonder about America, if you and I are having an intelligent conversation that says, let's call it public health care. Public health care mm-hmm. is, you know, surely a fundamental human right that we all need to have, along with having somewhere to live. Agree. And you are an affluent country and you have people who work and you have people who pay taxes and you give off this impression of being so rich America. America's so rich. And where is all that money going? Because it's clearly not going to take care of the people. So why aren't the people rising up? Why isn't I know you've just been going through oh man, you are so complicated, your whole voting thing, but you have this whole <laughs> Lordy. So first of all, you work out. So Trump's obviously going to stand for Trump on that side. So then you've had to go around and have a whole voting system to yeah. work out who's going to stand against Trump. Because what, did you not have a leader of an opposition? So we have uh, Boris Johnson is leader of the Conservative Party. And then when we cast our votes, because he was the leader of the Conservative Party, we voted for Conservative. We got him as our prime minister. But on the other side, at the time, we had Jeremy Corbyn, who was the leader of the Labour Party. And then, I'm very sorry, I've forgotten the woman's name. There was a woman who was um, the leader of our third party. And there were Mm -hmm. many other little parties behind that. And if we had voted Labour, we would have had Jeremy Corbyn. So you voted, I think it's Republican. Is it Republican to get Trump? I was getting confused. Yeah, he's a Republican. Yeah. Yeah. So you've done that. Was there not a leader? of the Democratic Party already. So there was someone who stood against Trump, wasn't there? I forget who Yeah, so our system is a very, um, I think for, well, well, let me take it back. So when you're in high school here, um, you know, most Americans take like a government class. I'm not sure how it is in the UK, but so you learn about the, yeah, we do it. So you learn about the branches of government, you know, legislative, judicial, executive, whole thing. And then you learn about kind of the party system. So Republicans, Democrats, and then essentially independents are basically given no attention. There's like a third party that doesn't exist essentially for most people. And because our country is so big and, you know, when it was created, you created the Electoral College, which essentially gives some states more delegates um, or higher percentage of the total that will weigh heavier towards electing the president of the United Mm. States for that. So um, that's why in our country, you'll say like certain states, the the people who are running for president will say, oh, we got to go to New Hampshire. We got to go to Iowa. 
yeah. have to go to Florida and Pennsylvania. Those states almost always determine the presidential election. And but that's not cert- necessarily because they're bigger, though, is it, Darian? No, it's not because they're bigger. It's not. It has nothing to do with the size of the state. So it's why, just the number of- why have they got more? Why, in a sense, do they carry more votes than somewhere else? Who said that Ohio is allowed more votes than <laughs> California? Why? Well, basically, when the country is, uh, which is interesting because UK and you know America, basically when the United States was started, you know, it's basically a country of Eastern states, everything, you know, the original 12, 13 states were all on one side of the country. And so as the country expanded, you couldn't have like basically these original states having all the power to elect Mm. the, the, the leader of the country. So they divvy it up and say, Hey, you have the total vote, which is why in the election, uh, the last election, Hillary Clinton had 2 million more votes than Donald Trump, but she still lost because he won the electoral college, so he won the states that had more uh, uh, weight towards winning the presidency. But I think it's an outdated system because at this point, um, I don't under like it's been the same forever, and I'm not sure why Florida needs to carry the majority or Pennsylvania or Ohio, which is a, a nice state, but I'm not sure why it needs to have so much power in determining mm-hmm. the. So it's like a weird system for that. And so, and then, and then we have this system where like, okay, Trump is the incumbent, he's the president. And so we have to, so the Democrats have to have somebody to go up against him in the election. And of course, because uh, Hillary lost and was basically destroyed her, she's not going to go up against. So that's why you've had, do you know what? I just wonder, and, and I have always been fascinated by time machines. I watched. Did, did you ever watch the uh, the film called The Time Machine? I'm sure it was called The Time Machine. Yes, and then, I have seen then, it. Yes. Then there used to be, and I'm sure it was an American um, a million years ago program called The Time Tunnel, and there were these two guys, and they would um, walk into this swirling black and white tunnel, and uh, and, and you know time travel. And I, I just mm-hmm. loved that. That was. That was sort of my thing of like the 1960s or 70s or whenever they were coming out. Yeah. Gave my age away then. So, yes, or the 1970s or 80s. And and I want to sit in a time machine. And what I want to be able to do is hover a, a bit above the ground because obviously I might get built on. And I want, I'm like curious as to why the road goes there, why the house goes there, what it was like before all the infills were in. But what I'd also like to do is is have a way that I could go down alternate timelines, which is a bit like the Terminator star movie. You know, what if yeah. Hillary Clinton had won? What would have happened then? How would she have responded to this situation? Um, would she have added to Obamacare because obviously she was of, of the democratic sure. persuasion? And, you know, what... How different would things be if if only? And I love I love the idea of a, a split timeline or a time travel, if only. You know, can we go back, tweak? Oh, okay, so it didn't work out any better. I can't imagine this, but it was worse. <laughs> so I, I'll go back again and then I'll unmake <laughs> her president. You know, this sort of thing. And, yeah, I just – I would have been fascinated to see how America – 
changed by having a woman leader would have been, and I'm not saying that just because I'm a woman, but I, uh, you know that that uh, female essence. Because to me, you seem like not you, Darian. Yes, I understand. Taking you out of this, but you seem like you are controlled by a lot of old men, a lot of <laughs> a lot of old old wealthy white men seem to still have all the power you know you have this phrase the the founding fathers yeah and and you're what 200 years past that and we're in a such a modern age we're in a new century and yet that huge expanse of the planet is still being controlled by what feels like a handful of founding fathers and and when you're going to rise up and go no we want a different way we need to be we need to be doing better than this Welcome to the intermission. Take this time, take this space, and breathe. Let yourself be open to the ideas, different ideas, that may come from other people. It's good to be informed by other people's points of view and for them to be informed by yours. What are you holding deeply inside? that you feel like you can't talk about, but that you could discuss in a very intelligent way. I encourage you to have thoughtful, meaningful conversation with people you don't know and people you do know. Watch what happens. Well said. Well said, Vicky. I mean, I think your observation is an interesting one. I, w- I would say it's one that I share. I think I have maybe a unique perspective in a sense um, because of the ethnicity that I'm part of. I'm a Black mm-hmm. American. And so certainly I, um, you know, I was very happy when Obama became president. It was a landmark moment for us mm-hmm. for that. And I felt it represented progress. Now, did I agree with everything he did? No, because I want to be objective and I want to say, hey, you know, I want to see how the person does. But I did tell my wife the other day and we were sitting and they're putting up all the candidates for the Democratic Party. And then you have Trump. And I was like, this is just weird to me. Like our country is made up of so many different people, yet it always comes down to the same type of person, Mm. an older. And now it's much older, wealthy white person. And I said, you know, it's just like the rest of the world has lapped us in a sense, you know, having a a female leader of a country has been done by many countries is that that road, that hurdle has been surpassed a long Mm. time ago, a lot of places or, you know, of a different sexual orientation or whatever, things like that. Like we, we have a very difficult time because I feel like I've lived all over the United States. Not that I know all this stuff, but Growing up in a military family, I had a chance to live in every sector of the United States. And most Americans cannot say that. Mm. There's just so many parts of our country, especially the southern part, uh, the southeastern part of the United States, that is extremely far behind in progressiveness and how they see. And a lot of people uh, still maintain that founding father's mentality. They want America to stay the same as it used to be. But then on the other side, you have this super liberal 
way too liberal side where it's overly progressive, way too over the top uh, progressive nature. And so we're always fighting <coughs> each other on that aspect of it, you know. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Just, just really. We're odd. too big, I, I know Vicky. We we're look- too big. I'm telling you, we are yeah. way too big of a country. That's the problem. We can't enact changes that maybe, let's say, Nordic countries can do. They're smaller countries. You know, they have mm. smaller populations. They can have, you know, widespread change. We can't do that. We're too big. Yeah. Well, they say that, don't they? You know, the bigger the ship, the slower it is to turn. Or it's hard to, to turn it, or, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you really are suffering from that. But I mean, it's interesting if you go back to where you said about Florida and how slow Florida has been to react. We were in uh, Florida literally October, November last year. So just yeah. a few months ago, we did the whole Disney thing. Mm-hmm. And um, my son-in-law is a hardcore Disneyite, if there is one of them. I don't know <laughs> what they're called. Um, in that he used to work at Epcot uh, when he was younger. So, I mean, he knows everything like a British person would about <laughs> Disney. And so that's it. And he's on chats and groups and he follows and he does everything. And yeah. so impressed with how quickly Disney shut down all of their um, yeah. theme parks. And that was probably six or eight weeks ago. And then, of course, you know, that meant a lot of people lost their jobs and everything else. But, you know, they they reacted so quickly. And yet the rest of the state doesn't seem to have, you know, and it's been really interesting looking at the responses of individuals. So, you know, we've got people here in the UK and, and we mentioned them, the shop workers. So our main supermarkets have got together. I don't know, because quite a lot of them move to different countries. So I don't think you have tesco's over to you but i know we have your um, walmart's over to us so tesco's one of our big chains along with sainsbury's and everybody else and they're sending emails to their customers and i'm sure the other supermarkets have done it but it came in an email from tesco's to say that we have identified um i'm doing this from memory thirty thousand of our um workers that are vulnerable either because they've got health issues or because they're older We've sent them all home on full pay, not part pay, nothing else, full pay. And then we now need to recruit more staff, which is why there's a lot more young people coming in and and learning to be in the stuff. And then you've got other people who profess to be wealthy, who profess to be successful companies. And then when you look at it, there's nothing behind it. They're just letting staff go. And what our government has offered is whatever your salary was in February, the government will pay 80% of your salary and it's called furloughing. So it's like putting you out to pasture sort of things. We're not sacking you because actually we would like you back when this is all over, but we don't have the work and we want you to stay at home for health reasons anyway, you know, because everybody should be at home so we don't spread the virus. So, But we're going to pay you this 80%. And still, I'm hearing cases of employers sacking staff during March when they could have kept them on for one month, and then those people would have had 80% of their wages from the government. And instead, they're now out, and then they have to go onto the benefit system. And instead of getting maybe anywhere from £1,000 to £2,000, 
they're going to get somewhere in the region of 500 to 600 pounds, which is a huge difference if you were the breadwinner of a family. Right. And so, again, it's back to this, how people have responded, um, not just the speed of action, but the thoughtfulness. And I, and again, I'm still going to go back to it, that I do believe that we will turn around and there will be winners and losers out of this. And, and then this is maybe what tying into your idea of the political and the back doors and the backhands and everybody, everybody's still trying to empire build. Mm-hmm. We haven't had that in England. Our two main political parties, I have to say, you know, every so often the opposition will step up and go, come on, you're not doing that good enough or quick enough or whatever. But they haven't been infighting. And I've been really impressed with the fact that they have been cooperating and we've been getting our um, departments and our parties together to come up with solutions. And yet when we heard about you and your trillion dollar package, you know, it seemed to stay in the parliament or your equivalent of the parliament, the Senate for, for not weeks, but, you know, days and days and days while they were arguing. I mean, what are you arguing about? Just get the money out there to the people that need it most. But again, I guess if you don't have healthcare, you probably don't have any form of benefit system, do you? So how will people get money? It's it's a weird system because um, you know we have unemployment, um, so a lot of people have well, been like laid an off. Unemployment benefit. Yeah, so pen- like oh, if okay. you were working for an employer and you were let go, um, then you can claim unemployment. Um, go on the site, and they added in the stimulus that you would get basically an extra six hundred dollars per week, in addition to what you would get on your normal benefits to help people for that. So we've had now up to what six point six million people apply for unemployment benefits, which is like unbelievable. It's just crazy how many people have lost their jobs. I'm 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 sick about them. So it's terrible for our country. Um, but they, so they get that and then they extended it to, um, and you could speak on this about the UK, they extended it to independent contractors, self-employed people who were not hired by organizations type of thing. So they also can get, um, unemployment benefits as well for that. We've done the same thing here. Right. Um, and now shockingly, if you think that we've also got this 80% of your wages furloughing thing which you haven't described having which is designed to keep people in work we've still had one million people sign up for benefits now you are approximately five times the size of us i thought you were i thought you were 330 million and yeah we're 360 yeah yeah well we're 66 million and 66 is five times so on that basis if we've had a million and you've had six million, we're not that far behind you if right. you ratio it with how many people must have lost their jobs. But what I don't understand is why are people losing the jobs? You didn't need to lose your jobs. We could have just held on to you for one month. And so it must have meant that there were either a lot of unpleasant people in business, that's a possibility, mm-hmm. or there are actually a lot of businesses that weren't doing as well as you might think that actually everything was maybe based on debt and not on cash right cash in the business that they you know if you can't afford to keep your staff on just for one more month until this kicks in because it kicks in on the 1st of April you can enter your details so i think the website might have gone live i'm not sure but somewhere in this week the website is going live and people can then enter their details the employers and say 
I'm the employer of Darian. I'm going to let Darian go. I'm going to enter his details on the website. And now Darian mm-hmm. will get 80%. And then it will be backdated to the 1st of March anyway. Right. So then I will get one month's money back and then you'll start getting the money from then on. So we only had to span you for a month. And yet still we've let so many people go. And I think it's because what we have here is a lot of people on what are called zero-hour contracts. So they're theoretically employed, but they're employed to do no work at all in the week. And then when I work out the demand that I have, then I can call you in and say, Darian, I need you to do 10 hours this week. And next Mm. week I might need you to do 20 hours, but the week after I might need you to do nothing. And that's what we're also seeing in India. So I don't know whether you've seen the news of India. I have. So on India, they called a complete lockdown with four hours notice. And all of those people would have been focused from the villages or wherever they live. They would have been focused on the major cities because that's where they would go to get work. And then there was the lockdown and that left those people. They said something in the region of 80% of Indian, the Indian population were uh, day workers. So they literally would queue up on a daily basis to get their work for the day. If they didn't get work for the day, they didn't get money for the day. Now, again, India is, well, it's it's a very polarized country with some very, very wealthy people and some very poor people, again, like America, and looking at how are you taking care of your own? There's no sense of your own. And again, because my ties to South Africa, I mean, they're, they're not familial or anything like that but we've got some good friends in South Africa we've visited there a lot looking at how those people who live in the townships are going to function because they live so close in terms of proximity shack by shack by shack sharing maybe 40 people to one communal toilet getting their water from one tap the the potential for devastation is huge and I hope that those that are left aren't just going to be happy, rich people who went, oh, phew, I'm all right, didn't really bother me. I sacked everybody. Um, I shut my doors. I had private medical care. I, I had enough money. I didn't care. And then it doesn't matter who else died. Nothing, you know, like going back to what you were saying, nothing, nothing's going to change because I'm all right, Jack. I really hope that this cuts through everything and we come out of this a better planet, more caring, uh, more appreciative, as I said, but more more caring of those that, that need to be cared for. You know, if we're going to lose millions of people, there should be no reason why there are any more people homeless. If we're going to lose millions of people out of the workforce, there should be no reason, I'm going to caveat that again, why everybody couldn't be employed, obviously subject to skill levels. But everybody when given an opportunity to step up, I do believe can step up, you know, and, oh, I hope so. Cool. And we've been gloomy. (laughs) No, you know, I think, but this is a good conversation. I've had several conversations on, I would say a very micro level with people about this, but I think what's good is I'm even thinking like what I'm going to call this episode, but it's, it's been an intelligent conversation about, you know, politics, UK American politics and the effect on, you know, coronavirus and everything <laughs> going on here. And I think this is a good conversation because people, I've been fortunate. I grew up around the world in a military family. So I've visited all over the United States, lived, I've lived in Europe. I have a decent sense of 
of things going on, been to Malaysia and all these countries, seen extreme poverty, mm. been around it, seen extreme wealth. And, uh, and real quick, the furloughing, that, that has happened in America. Some larger companies uh, like uh, the Marriott hotels, they have furloughed and stuff. But now there's, there's, I just saw today, Boeing is looking at trying to do buyouts of employees at this point. So oh. um, I think the large, large companies are doing that. But um, I think they're reaching a point where I'm not sure how long they can do that. Um, but they're doing that from their own money. They're not, they're not getting money from central government to... Right. They're just furloughing people from their own money. And then so like a big thing here, like I lived in Las Vegas for a long time. And so shutting down the casinos was like a gigantic blow Mm. for that because casinos never close. I mean, they're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I saw this projection that most casinos basically had enough cash on hand that they could survive some between eight to 18 months on, on a larger time scale for that. So they had a lot of cash to stay afloat. But I think the uncertainty of not knowing what's going on is really making people make different decisions. And then you have the smaller businesses that, you know, they were probably barely hanging on on a regular basis on a year after year after year, like just enough to stay afloat. Those are the ones that without aid, they'll they'll probably never come back on that level. So it's kind of this layered discussion about, you know, how do we take care of our people? I mean, we had a candidate uh, that my wife and I were supporting pretty hard in the Democratic primary uh, deal, Andrew Yang, and he was making the circles around here. Great guy, but he was almost too logical for us because this whole thing was on universal basic income and taking care of people, making sure that as a, as a human citizen that you had certain rights as being alive, that you were going to get a basic level of income, you would be taken care of, and then you would still be able to have the opportunity to be capitalistic and improve your status in the world and, you know, whatever beyond that. Mm -hmm. And it almost like he ran up against the old founding fathers aspect of it, not only the other candidates, but humans, other the voters who were not in favor of it. And they couldn't see getting behind that because we're just used to what we're used to. You know, we, People of the grand, you know, there's a reason why the the uh, the Republican Party is called the GOP, the Grand Old Party. <laughs> you know, it represents these very outdated ideas. And but I'm not saying this because I'm a Democrat or Republican. I, I'm an independent. But the Democrats too represent tremendous progressiveness and liberal. Some people super liberal that it turns people off as well. So yeah. I think we're just a nation of extremes. And we're, we're not we very create, good at moderating things. Yeah. Maybe we need to create a new independent party, yeah, a new independent party, a collective of people that are like-minded, that there's got to be a way that you can, and, and, I, and I firmly believe this as well. So like right now, I know that there are people in groups that I'm in that are saying, oh, no, you can't make money while everybody's struggling with, the covid virus well that's rubbish actually you yeah. you must make money while people are still struggling because if we don't who's going to make the profit to pay the taxes who's going to keep people employed to pay the taxes because all this money that's being borrowed your trillions and our billion what are we doing we're doing billions and you're doing trillions yeah all this money has been borrowed from somewhere it has to be paid back at the end of this and so 
if we don't get the economy moving or keep the economy moving, we're not going to have people employed. And if they're not employed, they won't be paying their share of the taxes. And if we don't charge for things, we're not going to have businesses making a profit and then they're going to pay taxes. And at the end of it, your trillions and our billions of debt are going to have to be paid back by us. And that's why, you know, when I'm not having, excuse me, when I'm not having these amazing, you know, philosophical, political, <laughs> etc. Et debates, you know, one of the things that I'm doing on a much more general, um, l- not local level, but um, uh, day-to-day level is having conversations, doing my videos, doing my emails, saying to people, I know you're locked in at the moment and you're taking care of your health, but while you're there, you have so much more time Now take care of your financial health as well as your physical health. Now's the time to understand money. And then at the end of this, if we all realize that actually we either have a lot more money than we thought or we can reduce the debt that we had because we understand money better, which would be a great outcome of this, we become more financially aware, we could get ourselves into a position where people can make better decisions about how they want their lives to be. Maybe people don't have to go back to working in the way that they did before, so hard, so far away from their families all the time. They might be able to find other ways of working or other ways of generating income that give them a better quality of life and their children and their other family members a better quality of life because we're going to be affected by this and we're going to treasure those that we have the fortune to stay with on the other side. And if that's the case, then maybe what we can also do is start to look outwards a bit more, going, okay, I have enough. So one of the talks I used to give was about this word enough. So if we all take responsibility, we all recognize we have enough, we can contribute more. So responsibility in the COVID sense would be stay inside, do your bit, don't spread the virus. And then when you're doing what you should be doing physically with the spare time you've got, now start to look at how much money you've got. Understand your finances, reorganize your debt so you're not paying so much interest. Don't necessarily take from the government if you don't need it because you're just increasing a bigger debt for us all to have to pay back down the line. Don't accrue unnecessary debt. Sort out what you've got. You're going to have a lot less travel costs. Um, I don't know what it is in dollars, but I mean, every work person will get their cost coffee, their Starbucks coffee, their Nero coffee every day. And it will cost, you know, three pounds or three dollars. And then they'll probably not bring the sandwiches from home. They maybe pick a sandwich up while they're out. Or So there's going to be lots of costs that you can save, travel and food and everything else. You won't be able to book that holiday to Disney. So you'll save all of that money. Then use that money to pay off the debt that you've got, pay off credit cards, pay off personal loans so that you're in a stronger financial position when we get past COVID-19, because then the governments are going to turn around and they're going to look at us and they're going to go, "Okay, I gave you all this money to keep your business going. I piled all this money into the, the health service to take care of you. Now I need that money back because I borrowed it and I've got to give it back. And so I'm going to increase my taxes and we need to be ready for that as well. And I think over and above everything else we've said, that's a really important message. And that that's going to affect every country where they have a form of tax and central, you know, benevolence system. 
and we just need to be ready for it. That's well said. I mean, I think that's maybe not being put out there as much. And, and, and I understand why, you know, we're focused on stopping the spread of this and making sure we're taking the right steps, but certainly in forward thinking and looking ahead, that's, that's something to certainly be aware of. I, I love these conversations. I really do. Like I, I enjoy intelligent conversations about our differences, our similarities, mm-hmm. uh, how we're, you know, I've been enjoying, like I've been talking to people on my podcasts in different states about how they're dealing with coronavirus and in New York, I had people on from New York City and their homes talking about it. Now, talking to you from UK about it. And I think these different perspectives, it's good for listeners to hear that mm-hmm. and to broaden the horizons with it, you know. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you and I had a little chat you know, it must have been close to four weeks ago. And we were in a different world then. Yes. A completely different world. What we chatted about and what we thought we might chat about, even though, you know, it's not scripted, this is a free flight. I doubt that either of us at that moment thought that our conversation would be the way it is now. And I hope that it's been of value to your listeners. I found it fascinating speaking with you, learning more about America and please for everybody that's listening let's just gather together and put aside our political differences our religious differences our cultural differences everything and just come out of this better people let us exceed our expectations and and make this world a better and more caring place please well said vicky thank you so much for your time on the podcast. Oh, I'm grateful you came on. Grateful. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. It's been really nice speaking with you, Darian. Thank Same you. Same here. All right. We'll be in touch. Okay. Cool. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone.